I really like the way you return a result array mm-hmm. from the queries. And it appears that, I'm asking for confirmation, it appears that you return a result array every time, no matter the query. Even if it's empty, yeah. even if you say select star blah, 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 limit one, yeah. it's going to be an array every time? Every time. Okay, I love this library. <laughs> yeah, That's awesome, man. Yeah, a lot of magic, but some things just got to be predictable. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Sentry. Build better software faster, diagnose, fix, and optimize the performance of your code. Over 1 million developers and 68,000 organizations already use Sentry. That number includes us. Here's the absolute easiest way to try Sentry right now. You don't have to do anything. Just go to try.sentry-demo.com. That is an open sandbox with data that refreshes every time you refresh or every 10 minutes, something like that. But long story short, that's the easiest way to try Sentry right now. No installation, no whatsoever. That dashboard is the exact dashboard we see every time we log into Sentry. And of course, our listeners get a deal. They get the team plan for free for three months. All you got to do is go to Sentry.io and use the code changelog when you sign up. Again, Sentry.io and use the code changelog. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Subscribe to the pod at jsparty.fm and follow the show on Twitter. We are at jspartyfm. Big thanks to our partners at Fastly for serving up our episodes super fast wherever you listen. Check them out at fastly.com. Okay, let's do this. It's party time, y'all. party people. I'm Jared, your internet friend, and we have a great show for you today. I am joined by a special guest, Rasmus Horsager. Rasmus, welcome to JS Party. Thanks a lot. Nice being here. Happy to have you. We're going to talk long and deep about Postgres, about relational databases, about Postgres.js, about Node, about Dino, about SQL queries, all sorts of things. But before we do that, it's time for our regular segment, Hala. Hala, of course, is a time that we take to holla at upcoming community events, meetup groups, conferences, whatever needs a holla. And today, I want to mention two back-to-back conferences happening in Amsterdam in June, JS Nation and React Summit. So JS Nation is a two-day two-track event, focuses exclusively on JavaScript dev. It's in Amsterdam, like I said. On June 16th is the in-person event, and June 20th is online. React Summit is the next day in the exact same location. So same people throwing it, obviously focused on React. It's the biggest React conference worldwide, June 17th in Amsterdam, and then June 21st remote. So these are hybrid events. People are getting back together. And JS Party plans on being a part of both of those conferences. We are still in the works, in the planning stages about exactly how we're going to be involved. 
But at the moment, we're planning to send Nick, Nick Nisi there. So if you are in the Amsterdam area and can hit up those two comps, come see us there. If you cannot and you still want to be involved, of course, they are dual IRL plus hybrid. Awesome stuff. So shout out to JS Nation and React Summit happening in June 16th and 17th. Links in the show notes to check out what those conferences are all about. This has been Hala. All right, Rasmus, back to you. So Postgres, you have this library, quite popular, quite fast, looks quite good. I've been scouring the readme, checking it all out. I'm a Postgres junkie from a long time back, so this speaks to me. And I wanted to bring you on and talk about it. It's hit V3, been working on it for a while. We're going to get into the library itself, how you can use it, why you might want to use it, how it's built, etc. But first, let's talk about Postgres as a thing or relational databases as a thing, because there's lots of options when you're building an application. How and why are you going to store your data? Relational databases are as old as time at this point. They were cool. They weren't cool. Now they're kind of cool again. Help the folks decide, or maybe give us your perspective on like why pick a relational database versus a document database like Mongo or a key value store or Firebase. There's lots of options for JS apps. What's up with relational databases? Why do you like them? Well, I've, I've actually started out on the other side. So um, when I began programming, MongoDB was just starting to be, become a thing. There was so many things I, I didn't know about. I had heard about SQL. I thought it was this ancient thing that wasn't a good idea to use anymore. Mm-hmm. I had some friends. I saw them write some queries. It was like, yeah, no. This other thing that has this real quick sample I can just take it and it works and I don't need to set up much stuff. It's much easier. I'll just go along with that. So for a long time, I was mm-hmm. I was using Mongo um, with also in Node using the Mongoose library. And at some point, I realized that in Mongoose, you create schemas over Mongo. So the entire idea behind Mongo being uh, schema-less and document-based, I wasn't using it at all for anything. I was making schemas just like you would make tables and and stuff in in Postgres. So after building one system for a company in it and uh, having to leave that at some point and leave it to a new crew, I came back to it one year later. And it was like my idea of having a schema, having everything nicely in shape uh, set up was just gone suddenly. I suppose that could happen with a more strict setup uh, as well. But there was literally uh, an HTTP endpoint where you could send JSON that would be passed and sent directly onto MongoDB and then get the results from there around all the beautiful, beautiful schemas and data structures I had made. And that's around the same time, I think it was in 2016, that Postgres, I don't know, I felt like it was gaining some popularity among amongst uh, this hyped sure. kind of thing. And I, I was looking into it and um, it was just, I think, instantly when I just took away the code around it when looking at node examples and stuff and just looking at SQL and creating tables, it was just, why haven't I given this a shot before? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I just started out ch- trying to figure out what it was about and... Um, and giving it a proper chance. And um, yeah, I haven't looked back since. That's an interesting perspective. So I have been around, I guess, quite a bit longer than yourself because, like I said, it was cool. It became not cool. There was a NoSQL or NoSQL hype cycle that happened around Mongo and other 
Guilty. These are like venture backed, <laughs> yet open source ish companies that have a very compelling product. And there's a lot to like about MongoDB mm-hmm. and the like. But the sensation that you had when you came into it, like we don't use the old crufty thing anymore, like this is what people use today, is really just kind of a cargo cult mentality. But when you don't know any better, you're just like, okay, like that's that this is what we use now. Yeah. And I think for a long time, people sidelined MySQL, PostgreSQL, SQLite, or as it's actually called. Well, maybe I did say it right, SQLite. I don't know. I always say it wrong. <laughs> SQLite. There you go. That's the correct way of saying it. Right. Those got sidelined because of the overwhelming marketing push and a lot of interesting features of these new databases. But along the way, Postgres has just been getting better and better and better. And it's been around for so long, it's rock solid, that I think eventually it was like, hold on a second, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because these other systems mm-hmm. are, are interesting and may fit our use case, it doesn't mean these other ones aren't anymore. And uh, what's interesting about your project, we'll, we'll get into the origin of your project, is it's very SQL-oriented from what I read about it. Mm-hmm. You're writing pretty much SQL, like you would if you're connecting to PSQL and writing SQL directly to Postgres. Now you, you provide utilities and, and ways of building that up and all sorts of things, but you're very much embracing SQL now. So did you, did you, yeah. did you learn to love the language, the query language, or did you, it doesn't seem like you're trying to hide it with this library. No, no, but I, I certainly did. And, and I think it was just my programming journey has been using some things to build some various stuff and then figuring out where it didn't work out and then just trying to take away all the parts that I didn't need because usually when you start out with something that needs to work you start out with a library that has a lot of things to get you 80% of the way and then you bump into all the bad things so um, I actually started out just reading the PostgreSQL documentation because I thought that must be the one true source of, uh, of this thing Yeah, and that was just really hard in the beginning until I understood like at some point their structure their way of setting things up just clicked for me and and was yeah really really nice just going through it trying to understand how everything worked and I had a few projects on the side where I could try these things out. So what's interesting to me with your time period so you're talking 2016 was the time range that you started picking up Postgres is that what you said? Yeah that's when I became interested in it and then okay. i think beginning 2017 i started actually building trying it. to do stuff with it yeah yeah node.js is old at this point yeah yeah 2009 right yeah so the thing that happened when node.js came out and started picking up steam like there were no libraries there were no database adapters connection poolers like there were like all this stuff in fact ryan Dahl's original call was like hey Fertile ground, you know, help yeah. build the ecosystem around Node. And then people did that. I'm surprised, and maybe there was, and they just didn't fit your use case or you want to build it. I'm surprised that come 2016, 2017, this kind of uh, foundational Postgres library didn't exist or there were ones that maybe didn't you didn't like them or what was the situation with mm. existing Postgres libraries when you started building this? Yeah, my first introduction to to a Postgres library in Node, Node was PG Promise, 
which is built on top of the PG library. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that at the beginning, but PG Promise just looked fairly good. I had a good friend introduce me uh, to it and showing off some of his, uh, his projects using it. So that seemed like the natural thing to start out with. And it had the extra things you would build on top of PG to use it any, anyhow. But it didn't take long until I kind of felt that there was actually using it, writing code with it could be better. Like tag template literals was, had just become a thing. So I made a wrapper for that library mm. that I just copied to all of my projects. It wasn't even a, a module or anything. It was just in the database initialization file. I would just put this wrapper so I could write everything with tag template literals. Some other projects I was working on did a lot of things with tag template literals. And I think it was just a weekend where I was, I was reading the Postgres documentation and I bumped into the wire protocol. And it seemed so simple somehow. Huh. Like it, I thought there was this crazy complex system behind talking to the database, but it seemed straightforward to just at least make a proof of concept. So I made something that could do queries, return some rows over a weekend. I couldn't stop from there. <laughs> <laughs> I got to see where this, this takes me. So for the uninitiated, when you say wire protocol, can you describe what you mean by that? Yeah, it's um, you can talk to a Postgres database in two ways or one way. It's the wire protocol, which is their definition of how to um, run queries, wait for results, and stuff like that. And you can do that over either a Unix socket or a TCP. Or a TCP. Uh -huh. And um, it's a binary protocol, but most of the things are text. You can use binary for uh, the actual values and data transfer too, which is something I'm going to look into for probably version 4 of uh, PostgreSQL.js. But the core of the protocol is you have first an integer, just telling you how many columns are you going to get now or what is the next length you're going to read. And then you just take it step by step. There was some low-hanging fruit for making that way better when you pass the incoming bytes and how to, uh, how to handle that compared to what PG did. Mm. And uh, the two biggest upsides or benefits you could get would be uh, implementing pipelining which is where you just send as many queries as you like, and then they'll come back in the same order as you, as you send them. That's going to improve performance quite a lot because you don't have to wait for the network to have a response from your current query before you send the next. And then there's prepared statements. When you have tagged template literals, it's almost a prepared statement in and of itself. So you can make the user land code create a prepared statement implicitly instead of, I think, I haven't seen other libraries do it, but I think all other libraries requires you to come up with a name for your prepared statement yourself. And this just gives a, a really, really big performance boost compared to not using pipelines, pipelining and prepared statements. Okay, so you may have answered one of my questions and Brett also in the JS Party chat says, how did you make it so fast? And of course, one of the flagship features of PostgreSJS is it's the fastest Node and Dino Postgres client. You have a benchmark there, which shows how it compares. And so is it safe to say that that's how the pipelining feature and the, the tag templates or the prepared statements, are those the two things that make it faster over the wire? Or is like the raw PG 
the old PG, not with the promises and stuff around it, but like, is that about the same speed, but you're not having the wrapper? Sorry, I'm not sure I get how compared to the old PG. So let me just ask this. Is it also faster than PG? Yeah, it's around two to five times faster in this very simple benchmark that I did. But I really wanted to do a thorough benchmark and actually test with real network latency instead of locally because that benchmark is locally and I'm not doing any actual hard queries. I just wanted to test the raw overhead of mm. the library itself. So a lot of that is also uh, more efficient parsing and the handling of uh, buffers. What would be cool would be to get a benchmark from an application like to do MVC mm. or that real world app, which surely has a node implementation, which maybe doesn't use Postgres in the node. You have to find one that actually uses Postgres. But yeah. if you can find something that's already out there and already using PG in a more real world situation, not a synthetic benchmark, but actually like, mm -hmm. and then have a set of operations that you perform through the UI even, well, that would not isolate quite enough. Maybe through a command line shell that's using the PG library, you might be able to get not so simple, yeah. more real world benchmarks. Yeah, I think it would be great to have some, a benchmark where there's a lot of concurrency because of course there's a lot of, it has to do how, how you're handling your connection pool to for sure yeah saturate the server as much as possible <laughs> right yeah i mean i think at the end of the day most people writing node or dino apps using postgres are probably not going to bottleneck too hard right away mm -hmm. maybe like just by tweaking their connection pools they can get a little bit better performance and stuff but probably the facilities that you provide it seems like you had pg promise you know node has kind of had these eras. It was like the callback era, the promise era. Mm. And now we're very much in like the async await era. Of course, promises are still out there. But I noticed this library is all async await. Is it all the way down? Yeah. Yeah. So that was like a big motivation probably to do that as well, wasn't it? That's actually a good question. I think I'm not even sure I fully embraced async await when I started out. I had embraced promises, but I was using dot then and dot catch. So yeah, I think actually it, it was first with version three that um, that I took that to completion. Okay. But I have one like real world world example where at my current job we have uh, we do digital signage and background music. So we have a lot of hardware units throughout the world, and um, there's around six thousand online, which before I did Postgres was running on a, an eight core, eight gigabyte V server. And now it's running on a two-core, two-gigabyte vServer. And it's just, it's idling at 15% when they reconnect all of them at the same time. And It's bored. Yeah. So, and that was in combination with a switch from Node's normal or the Node WebSocket module to uh, micro WebSockets. Mm. So I actually should have been benchmarked back then when I had the two code bases next to each other. But yeah, that's a while ago now. Hindsight's 2020. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Sourcegraph. They recently launched a new feature called Code Insights. Now you can track what really matters to you and your team in your code base. Transform your code into a queryable database to create customizable visual dashboards in seconds. Here's how engineering teams are using Code Insights. They can track migrations, adoption, and deprecation across the code base. They can detect and track versions of languages or packages. They can ensure the removal of security vulnerabilities like Log4j. They can understand code 
field by team, track code smells and health, and visualize configurations and services. Here's what the engineering manager at Prezi has to say about this new feature. Quote, as we've grown, so has a need to better track and communicate our progress and our goals across the engineering team and the broader company. With Code Insights, our data and migration tracking is accurate across our entire code base and our engineers and our managers can shift out of manual spreadsheets and spend more time working on code, end quote. The next step is to see how other teams are using this awesome feature. Head to about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. This link will be in the show notes again, about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. Sounds like the nut of it was tagged template functions. You wanted to use tab template functions or did you want to use tagged templates in general? And now you're using tagged template functions. Yeah, no, no, tagged template functions. I okay. mean, in general, it, they're, they're, not, they're just good for multi-line strings. So it's when you're able to use them as a function and interpolate the values, then, then it becomes really interesting. And there's this, to me, it was a very big discovery when I found out that the way a tag template literal function is called is the first part is an array with um, each part of the strings around your values or dynamic values. And the next, all the rest of the arguments are the actual values. And this first array is uh, static, which means that you get a static reference to the actual code that you wrote. If you have a function with a... a that's inside it is calling a tag template literal function. Mm -hmm. This array is by its nature static, but it's also static at runtime. So in that way, you can do some really cool caching features hmm. because you know it's not going to change. So that's pretty cool. So describe how it's working under the scenes. So let me just describe how it works as an end user. So like I write some SQL. I write, write a tag template, I guess, hmm. string. It looks like to me like an interpolated string. And I put, you know, select star from users where ID equals, and then I put in my dollar sign as a curly brace. I'm not looking at code right now, but I put in my basic, there's my little variable that can change based on whatever ID I pass into that variable at the time that it's called. Hmm. And I pass that off to PostgreSJS and say, execute this query. What does it do from there? How does it work? The first thing is it does is simply just build up a query object. And um, this is an object that inherits from a promise. And it's actually a, a lazy promise, which means that it won't do anything until you call .then, .catch, or .finally. And await, when you use the await keyword, it'll do that implicitly. The reason for that is because I wanted to be able to build dynamic queries, but as close to SQL as possible. So you can actually nest these tag template calls inside your values to, let's say you want to make it dynamic to choose if you want to sort by ascending or descending order, then you need to be sure that you're not simply just injecting a string because it's a keyword and you can't send keywords as parameters to Postgres. So 
Postgres doesn't know how to handle that. Mm. But you can do that in a safe way with tag template literals, which is pretty cool because you don't have to worry at all about SQL injection. The only way you can do that in Postgres.js is using a function called .unsafe. So it's pretty clear that you're doing stuff where you need to be careful. So again, for the uninitiated, SQL injection is when you open up your queries, like imagine you're building up a query string, and then you have an end user who is specifying, for example, sorting. So like maybe you have a web UI where they can toggle mm -hmm. a sort by this, ascending or descending, like, you know, invert the sort. You're allowing them to specify the order of that sort, which is going eventually into your database query. And so SQL injection is when you do that in certain ways that are not safe, they can be nefarious and write arbitrary SQL at the end of that, maybe by instead of sending ASC or DSC, which is what you're expecting the UI to send, they send you know semicolon drop all tables or whatever they send. And so this is a very common attack against SQL-backed applications that when you're building up these queries by hand with strings, you're vulnerable to. And so what Postgres.js is doing is it's protecting you from that possibility. It makes it impossible for that to happen because of the way that it's implemented. So that's pretty cool. I mean, that's a huge win. Yeah. So, okay. So the other thing that you mentioned there that I think is really cool is the lazy evaluation because now I can start to build up a query but not execute it till I actually need to, uh, which is a performance gain, right? Versus just like every time you pass it to, to Postgres.js, it's going to run the query for you. Right. I can build a query over time. I can modify it, nest it, put some conditions, et cetera, and then execute it really to kind of adjust in time, sending to Postgres right when I actually need to execute that query. So that's super rad. And you're doing that because you're having this nested tagged templates as well as returning a promise versus returning the result, right? Yeah, of course, you wouldn't be able to return the result no matter what. You need to await it somehow or a callback function. Or, right, right, right. But yeah, it, it's to achieve this, this way of building your queries without inventing a new language for it and to keep the amount of keywords as low as possible. So... I really enjoy when I don't have to remember the word of some things I use in the library. It's much easier to use uh, to remember the position of things or how you call it. So if you want to use a dynamic column name in Postgres, you also use the same tag template literal function, but you use it as a normal function. Mm -hmm. And then Postgres will be ensure that the will ensure that the column is uh, escaped properly. So one of the places that we started this conversation around relational versus Mongo, which I haven't seen, at least in, in my perusing of what you are up to with this library, it doesn't seem to have built-in facilities for schema generation, migration, changes to your schema, no. which you would need something. How do you go about that? So you start off, uh, you're going to build a a web app with postgres.js and you're like okay i need my users table they should have a name and an email blah 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 how do i define my schema is it all just grab a separate library or no i've there's actually i have another library i use personally called postgres shift okay which is just a forwards only migration library very classical you just have like you start with migration number one two three no clever no fancy stuff Nope, I just like it to be as straightforward as possible because then I know what's going on. 
I think that you can always do a backwards migration by having the next migration ready if you have the need for that. So it doesn't even do the up-down thing that most of them do. No. It's just one direction, run this. Yeah. Then if you want to back it out, you just run another one. Yeah. And um, I've tried to get my feet wet with some of these tools that do auto migrations to figure out how you change your schema. And I think the, the vision is really great. I just, I haven't tried using one where it felt like an improvement. Mm. And there's also the question about, do you do only schema migrations or do you want to do data migrations at the same time? And I, I actually feel okay just mixing it all up. But it depends on the project, of course. And for the things I've been doing, using Postgres Shift has been fine. Very good. Well, we'll take a, uh, a show notes link over to Postgres Shift. Surely there's other libraries. There's definitely others. And Postgres Shift, of course, yeah, I might have mentioned it at the bottom of the readme, but okay. it's not as polished. It's not finished with proper documentations and stuff. So, uh, But it's good enough for <laughs> Rasmus, so maybe it's good enough yeah. for somebody else. You know, uh, Your mileage may vary, but this is what he uses. And I think that's valuable information to have. So have you ever thought about maybe expanding the footprint of Postgres.js just to provide basic functionality that, I mean, pretty much anybody using Postgres is going to have to mm. define and migrate their schema. Right. Now, you can do it outside of your app, too. I mean, you can just, but is that past, maybe V4, have a little bit of migration stuff? No, I think almost all of the things I built, primarily because it's for my own usage. So with Postgres Shift, it's, it's fine having an, another library, and the way it works is just it has a convention of a migrations folder with folders for each migration uh, numbered and then you um, you pass in your Postgres instance connection to the database and then just off you go so it's so little code that it might even make sense to include in the the main library but on the other hand a lot of people will prefer another way of doing migrations so mm -hmm. as it stands today could you could you use the main library can you execute arbitrary SQL statements if you want to like can I just write Table definitions. Oh yeah, sure. Pass it to PostgreSQL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's there. It's just not yeah, not fleshed out. I mean, like you can do it. You can use the same connection you're using elsewhere and exactly write some code to do your thing. Okay. So that I think when you move into like more functionality, you mentioned detecting your schema changes. I think we get to a point where some people start to think, okay, well, what I really want to have are rich data objects that I define. In my JavaScript code, like we have objects in JavaScript, can I just have a user class with these methods and these data properties and just let my Postgres library do it for me? So like we're getting in the world of <laughs> not just migrate for me, but what about the dreaded ORM, which is actually can be very nice if done well. It's hard to do very well, but can't you take my objects and, and map them onto a relational database? and remove a lot of the boilerplate or things that I have to do manually. Have you thought about ORMs? Because that would be a natural progression, but maybe you don't like those. It actually touches on a thing I, I talk, uh, spoke with Feroz about at uh, some point, which is uh, another project of mine called HashQL. And the idea is that you don't need an ORM. You just go and query the database. So, so on the surface, it looks, it looks like it. You just go directly from your client-side JavaScript UI code and query the database directly. 
And when you're building your query there, you can just ask for it in whatever shape you want. And yeah, back to the SQL injection, all the dangerous stuff in a perfectly safe way. So I think once I find the time to actually get that up to a stage where I can present it, it's it's gonna push the other things away because it's such an awesome way to just remove so much middleware in between the things you actually wanna build. And that's, ORMs are one of those things. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Square. Millions of Square sellers use the Square app marketplace to discover and install apps they rely on daily to run their businesses. And the way you get your app there is by becoming a Square app partner. Let me tell you how this works. As a Square app partner, you can offer and monetize your apps directly to Square sellers in the app marketplace to millions of sellers. You can leverage the Square platform to build robust e-commerce websites, smart payment integrations, and custom solutions for millions of businesses. And here's the best part. You get to keep 100% of revenue while you grow. Square collects a 0% cut from your sales for the first year or your first 100 Square referred sellers. That way you can focus on building and growing your Square customer base and you get to set your own pricing models. You also get a ton of support from Square. You get access to Square's technical team using Slack. You get insights into the performance of your app on the app marketplace. And of course, you get direct access to new product launches. And all this begins at changelog.com square. Again, changelog.com square. So while we're still talking about the way it works and some of the things it doesn't do and stuff I like about it, I really like the way you return a result array mm -hmm. from the queries. And it appears that, and I'm asking for confirmation, it appears that you return a result array every time no matter the query. Even if it's empty, yeah. even if you say select, you know, star blah, 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 limit one, yeah. it's going to be an array every time? Every time. Okay, I love this library. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah, a lot of magic, but some things just got to be predictable. Yes, the principle of least surprise. You know, have no yeah. idea how much code I have written in my life where it's like handling the null case, handling the single case, handling the more than one case. Mm -hmm. And it's like those two, right, no results and one result are oftentimes treated as special cases. Yeah. Whereas if you're returning an array every time, an array with zero is just an array. Right. An array with one is just an array. An array with 75 is just an array. And so that is the way to do it. Where did you learn that? I know I've learned it from a specific place, but where'd you get that principle? That It's kind of like a mixture of the principle of least surprise, mm -hmm. but also there's a uniform access principle, which it's kind of that. I don't think that's exactly what that principle is about, but it's, it is you're uniformly accessing the results. Mm. So I'm curious where you learned that, because that's, that's a brilliant API design, if you ask me. I don't remember where I learned it, but it, I got an idea. It might come from, so I haven't studied anything with programming. I started out as a designer. And it's like some of these principles in design, they affect how I write my code. Mm. So also, if you're doing a user interface or building stuff like that, it's the same thing. The user land portion of my library is like an interface design, right? Just like a 
graphical user interface design. So um, perhaps from there, I'm not sure. Okay. I will tell you, I learned it from jQuery. Ah. Because that is the way jQuery works to this day when you do selectors. It might have been from there I got it too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just never thought about it. Yeah, I thought, I think about it because I, when I, I, you know, I just used jQuery long enough because I used to deal with all the edge cases. And I started realizing, it's almost like I didn't realize at first. It's like, I feel like my code has less edge case handling mm -hmm. when I was writing jQuery stuff. And I'm like, why is that? And I realized, well, it's because you get an array every time. Yeah. And so you don't have those two special cases of empty or one. Mm -hmm. And I started writing all my code that way to return. Sometimes I return a set every time. Yeah. And so when I see that in the wild, I think, okay, this person knows what they're doing. And I wonder, did they see it in jQuery? So <laughs> maybe you did, but you know, yeah. osmosis. Learn it through osmosis without, <laughs> without knowing that you did. But yeah, I could see where... Yeah. Design principles uh, would also have, it's kind of the don't make me think concept mm -hmm. because that's kind of what you're doing. Yeah, I think that with uh, destructuring in JavaScript, it also became so much better. It's right. so pleasant to write that way. To handle that stuff, yeah. Okay, so the last feature that I want you to touch on, because there's lots here, we haven't talked transactions, we haven't talked about a lot of stuff, but a lot of it's the things that you'd expect to be in a database library. So it's like, yes, it has these facilities. Mm. One that I think is really cool, and again, it's not like it's ground shattering, but the fact that you can call dot describe mm. on a query that you're building is super cool. You want to talk about that? Yeah, that's actually one of the few things I built because someone else asked for it. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I think that was in relation, they were trying to build um, some setup for automated type inference, inference for TypeScript. And there's also a, a discussion in the repo. I don't follow that much. I'm not a TypeScript. I don't use TypeScript, so it's not really of interest to me. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't hard to add that feature. So someone else is going to take the... Take credit for thinking of it. Yeah. So the reason why I like this feature, and it does exist in other database tools, but it should, I think, exist in every database tools because it allows you to actually see at the end of the day what it is exactly mm -hmm. that you're going to be sending over to Postgres, right? So you're building it up in JavaScript and strings. Maybe it does something else because you're, you're flagging me here. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. It's not only about what you get returned. It actually tells you the types Postgres expects you to send as well. Okay. So if you have some, when you have the tag template literal and you have some values there that you want to extrapolate, it tells you what input it, it expects. Gosh, yes, that's even fancier than I thought. Okay. Very cool. A couple other questions coming in from the chat. So it's version three. You've been working on it for a few years now, 2017-ish. You started doing Postgres or in 2022, so I'm not sure when you started this particular library, but you've been toiling away a few major versions. The question is, what are your plans and intentions for maintaining the project? Like, are you going to find a new shiny? I heard Fauna DB is cool. You know, you're going to switch to Fauna and, <laughs> and abandon Postgres.js, or what's going to happen down the road, you think? Well, if Fauna uses the wire protocol, no problem. But uh. <laughs> Fauna specifically, I think, is the one who is not PG compatible. But Cockroach, no. yes, a lot of them are saying we are wire compatible because mm. it's a huge adoption yeah. move, right? But I think Fauna actually has put a stake in the ground that says they're not. But regardless, yeah. you know, how long are you going to maintain this sucker? For as long as I'm going to use it myself too, which okay. is uh, in the uh, quite long future, I think. But I actually think it's can never say that, but it's done. There's some interesting things to try out with the binary protocol, but it's really not necessary. It, it wouldn't change anything on the surface. It would merely be a performance improvement. 
So uh, I think any bugs that should appear or, or any obvious feature requests, I'm of course going to take them in. But currently it's sitting there with zero pull requests, zero issues. It feels really nice. Or that, did there come one in today? I don't, I don't remember. I'm looking while you talk. Oh, I don't see any there. It's looking empty, yeah. Yeah. 74 closed, zero open. We'll see. I suppose there's going to come more when people start to use it for more than just side projects. It's still pretty young. I think it got a lot of attention with the version 3 release, but uh-huh. it's only two years ago I released the first version. So Okay. Yeah. So the version 3 release was definitely when it crossed my radar. Do you have... Yeah. I mean, you have some other open source stuff. Are you... Do you have a GitHub sponsors? Do you have an open collective? Do you have any sort of sustainability plan? Are you just happy to use this thing and it's done and maybe you'll do another open source thing? Maybe not, but you're not really like looking to maintain open source as a thing. Not anything I, I would do as for a living. Sure. But I mean, like uh, you probably put some sweat into this thing or do you only work on it at work? No, 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 no. It's, it's a private project. Uh, I use it at work. No. But it's done, so who cares? Yeah, yeah. No, I have a lot of other open source projects I want to continue working on as well, but I'm probably in the camp that don't feel like you should spend too much time trying to open, to monetize your open source projects. Just It's nice to share with others, and I get a benefit from uh, extra eyes on it. Mm-hmm. That's really nice too, and uh, yeah. Solid stance. No, I, I think that's uh, well said, well said. One thing I noticed is that while you came along a little later, you do have npm install Postgres, which is like very much as short as it, I mean, you could you couldn't do PG, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, that's like official. And I thought to myself, dang, dude, got Postgres. npm is quite a a crowded namespace at this point. And then I saw in the very, 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 very bottom of your README, you have a thank you to Ryan Dahl. You want to tell that story? How did? Sounds like maybe he donated it or he wasn't using it or what happened there? <laughs> exactly. So in the start, it was called PG, but P-E-E-G-E-E. So okay. <laughs> pretty silly. And I was like, I can't release it with this name. So uh, I saw that Ryan had the Postgres package and it had like the bare bones of a Postgres protocol from 2010. And like you started the conversation with mentioning that he just laid it out there, please build these things for Node. Right. So I just, I tried to write him and I told him I have this library, it's at this stage. I think it could uh, definitely be something that would be interesting for people to use as their main Postgres library. And um, he responded the same night, just asking, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Can you just link me some of your code so I can see what's going on? Yeah, quick code review. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was (laughs) private at that point. And then like a half an hour later, it was just, yeah, sure. I'll just transfer it to you. So that was... That was really nice of him. Was there any anxiety? You're like, dang, Ryan Dahl's just checking out my code right now. What if he replies <laughs> back is like, nah, yeah, there was you can't bad. have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's very cool. Well, speaking of Ryan Dahl, it's also a Dino client. So I'm wondering, yes. did you have to go jump through special hoops in order to work on both platforms? Or did, were you just writing vanilla JS, so it didn't matter? Yeah, most of it was vanilla JS, and of course there's zero dependencies, so it was all my own code. And I think version one was actually just 1,200 lines of code for the entire thing. Mm. So porting it to Dino was a one or two day task because they've done a huge job making polyfills for node interfaces. So 
it was actually just a matter of mapping those up to Dino and then finding the edge cases where that didn't work. And then, yeah, I think on the first run, tests passed, like almost all of them. There was some stream-related things, but luckily they had fixed that when uh, version 3 was about to be launched. So it passes the same tests as the Node version, and I haven't used Dino in production for anything, so I'm very curious to hear from anyone using Dino if how it works for them. But, uh, yeah. That's cool. I might kick the tires. I've been kicking the tires on Dino, not in production context, but just in mm. kicking the tires context and having some fun. And uh, as I said, I'm a Postgres guy from way back. So this sounds like a nice little playground for me. Hmm. You have TypeScript support as well. You didn't, you don't care about that, but it sounds like, was that also like, what, which one was harder? No, there was a, yeah, there was a user on GitHub who just PR'd it ah, the first nice. version and he's just been stepping up along the way. So he's done, I don't know if he's done a great job, but I think he did. I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Let Rasmus know if he did a bad job or not. Yeah. That's like when you have somebody uh, volunteer a translation of something, you know, like I'll translate this to Japanese. You're like, okay, <laughs> sure. please do. I hope it's good. Yeah. Awesome. Is there any way the community can help you with this? I think it's kind of done. Like if you had a chance to say something to JS devs, like would it be use it? Let me know if you like it. Suggest features. What are you looking for? You just want people to enjoy your software or do you have specific needs or desires with it? I think the main thing that would be nice to have Postgres help is making PostgreSQL sexy again. Like it's... It's got to be straightforward to use Postgres. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm hoping to do with this library. Like, that's probably something I picked up from Mongoose, the fact that you can just instantiate your database connection and then query off of it. You don't need to worry about managing pools or uh, waiting for the connection to open, handling errors on the connection instead of just handling errors on every single query. So there's like the, the whole error situation is so much better with PostgreSQL compared to PG. I had a user convert from PG to Postgres a day ago, and it was like 148 additions, 490 deletions. Nice. And that's, that's something that yeah makes me happy. That really... Yeah, that feels good right there. Yeah, this seems pretty good, yeah. So if it can help push PostgreSQL forward, then that, that's really awesome. So what about some of Postgres's more advanced features? I see you have Listen and Notify in there some real-time stuff. I wonder about the JSON support in Postgres, other things that aren't, like that's not exactly new. JSON-B is not new anymore, but it's <laughs> new-ish faculty, and, and the Postgres database is getting you know new features over time. Are you interested in adding specific support for specific advanced features, or you want to stay pretty much SQL compatible? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think Postgres, added it themselves when they got JSON path and everything uh, as, a, as a first class citizen support for that. So you're writing SQL with PostgreSQL and you can just benefit from those features added along the way. The most interesting extra thing I added, I think, is the logical replication real-time subscription, which is taken directly from Superbase, who did that first and, and uh, presented it as a WebSocket through a big setup mm. that you would use, use with Elixir. But here you can just get it like you do sql.subscribe and put in your table name, perhaps a specific field, and then you get notified everything that changes. And you don't need to set up stuff like you do with listen and notify. You just have to, have to 
add, which you can say all tables, just want to push all tables to logical replication, or you can narrow it down to the things that, that really matter. Well, Rasmus, very cool stuff. I'm quite impressed by the library. I want to give it a try for myself. Definitely, if you're out there using Postgres.js, let us know. Shoot us a holler. Definitely let Rasmus know. One of the best things you can do as an open source user is just let people know that you're using their software, that you appreciate their software. If there are issues that you're having, obviously let them know those kindly as well. That's good feedback for open source maintainers. Anything else we haven't talked about you want to make sure we squeeze in before we call the show? There could be plenty, but um, no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> You're good. Okay. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show talking about this. I think it's a very cool project. I think we need more high-quality libraries that let us build you know, rich database-backed applications. So more like this, please. But that's all we have for now. Don't forget about those events we mentioned in the hollow section. Definitely check out Postgres.js, Postgres.shift, if you're into simple things, as well as HashQL. We have the links to all the things in your show notes. So click through and check out what Rasmus has been up to. But that's all for now. This has been JS Party. I've been Jared Santo, and we will talk to you all next time. Changelog++ subscribers, stick around. I followed up with Rasmus on HashQL after the official show ended. You laughed when I said check out HashQL. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit nervous about that one. <laughs> it's like, it's this thing that I... It's only us now, right? He agreed we could keep it in, but it's for Changelog++ ears only. If you're not a++ subscriber, check it out. It's our membership program that lets you directly support our work on JS Party, save yourself some time by making the ads disappear, and get cool bonuses like this extended episode. Subscribe today at changelog.com slash plus plus. Thanks again to Fastly for having our CDN back, to our beat freak in residence, Breakmaster Cylinder, and to you for listening. We appreciate you. Next up on the pod, big show. Nick and Chris sat down with the TypeScript team to discuss their new type annotations proposal that has everybody talking. Stay tuned for that one. You don't want to miss it. It'll be hitting your podcast feed next week.